0: Well, good morning. It's good to worship together, isn't it? It's a good, good thing. Last week, if you were with us, you'll remember that we were in Luke chapter 8, more towards the beginning of the chapter, and there Jesus tells a parable uh, about a farmer that goes out to, to sow his seed. Remember that? And some of the seed fell onto the hard-packed soil of the pathway, and the birds of the air swooped down and and picked it off. And other seed, it fell on the shallow soil. And, And even though the seed sprung up quickly, yet because it had no depth, when the weather got hot, it shriveled up and died. Then there was the seed that fell into the weed-infested soil. And though it grew, it was so choked, so limited uh, by the weeds that surrounded it that it, it bore no fruit. Then finally, thankfully, there was the seed that fell into the good soil. The good soil that received the seed, that held on to it, and that brought forth an abundant harvest. And so Jesus tells this parable, and his disciples just kind of scratch their heads. They're not sure what to make of it. They're they're not sure what to think. And so they go to Jesus, and they ask him, what is this all about? And if you remember, beginning in verse 11 of of Luke chapter 8, there Jesus begins to explain the parable to his disciples, and he tells them that the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And, And... and that what this parable is all about then is how you and I respond to the word of God when God speaks to us. It's all about what we do in response when God's word comes our way. And what Jesus said is that we can be like that hardened pathway. And if we are, if we are resistant, if we are hardened against what God is saying, if we don't want to hear it, the enemy will come and he will steal away what God has said to us from that hardened surface of our hearts. Oh, we could also be like the shallow soil. We can be immediately responsive and receptive. We can take in what God says and we can agree with it. But because our flesh is still in control when things get hard, when the temperature rises, we bail out, and no fruit is born. Oh, we could also be like that thorn-infested soil. We can accept what God says to us, but because we are still so in love with the stuff of this world, There's not enough of us to go around. There's not enough of us left to invest in the things of the kingdom of God. And and we can be so overtaken with pursuing the stuff of this world that we end up bearing no fruit for the Lord. But our target, the one we want to be like, the 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 one that, that that is laid out for us as a good example, that's the good soil. And Luke says that that good soil does a couple of things. It is receptive; it receives the word, and then it holds on to it like a bulldog. It clings on to it; it won't let it go. And because of that, it bears fruit for the Lord. Well, in our passage this morning, uh, really, it's just a continuation of what Jesus said in the passage we looked at last week. We're going to be this morning in Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. And there, Jesus is just continuing this same thought. He's warning us that, that, that what he says to us, when he speaks to us, it's got to be put into practice in the living of our lives. Really, James 1.22 is a great summation of what Jesus says here in this passage. You remember James 1.22. Oh, maybe you don't recognize it by the address, but here's what it says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. You know, it's that last part of what James says there that makes this, this dynamic so hard To navigate. Because you see, when we hear and we agree with what God says, but then we somehow justify not doing what he says. When we hear what God says, when we know what God's word is, but we choose because we think we're a a special exemption to go a different direction, What God's word says is in that moment, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And when we are deceived, and I know this is kind of obvious, but we don't know it. That's what it means to be deceived. When you're deceived, the problem is you don't know that you're deceived. Instead, you think everything's good. That's what it means to be deceived. And so we end up thinking that spiritually we are good to go because we have acknowledged certain spiritual truths because we have agreed with them. We have agreed with the truths of God about forgiveness and graciousness and holiness and love all while we continue to live our lives untransformed with nothing more than a a token nod to these truths, with nothing more than a thin veneer that we wear on Sunday mornings. Well, what Jesus says here in Luke eight sixteen to twenty one challenges that deception. It calls us to a, a genuine submission to the Lord, to embrace a supernatural transformation, a change of who we are within that goes beyond anything that you or I can do, but that is a work that God and God alone can do within us. Well, let's turn to our passage, Luke chapter eight. Find that, find verse 16. I'm gonna read the passage. You can follow along and I'm gonna ask you to Stand as I read God's word, out of an acknowledgement that this is the word of God. This isn't, this isn't our stuff. This is what God speaks to us. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 16, here's what Luke writes. Jesus is speaking, and he says, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that the, uh, those who come in may see its light for nothing is concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Therefore, take care how you listen for whoever has, more will be given to him and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we we know because you promised that you are going to speak to us this morning. And so, Lord, we ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that your word would land on good soil. God, if we are hardened, if we are unreceptive, break through that. Change us, Lord. Penetrate our hardened hearts. If if we are that shallow soil, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that too and allow us to to put down roots that are deep. God, that a week from now, a month from now, you might be working these truths into our lives. Lord, if we are that weed-infested soil, start yanking, Lord. Start pulling stuff out. Lord, remove those things from us that keep us from fruitfulness for you. Let us be good soil, Lord. Do that work within us, Lord to accomplish what you desire. We give you this time. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's interesting, as we read through this passage, there are so many parts of it that are just so familiar. But what's odd is they're familiar because there are a number of things secondary applications that I think can justifiably be taken from this passage that have become more famous than the main point that Jesus is making here. Oh, we read this passage and we sit in the little ones downstairs and we hear them singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. And we warn the unrepentant sinner that one day to their shame, all of their secret sin will be public knowledge as God takes all those hidden things and makes them known. And we tell new believers that their faith family is going to become their real family, especially those whose biological family doesn't know the Lord. And, And all these things There is some truth. We are to let our light shine. And, and, you know, there there will come a day when all things that are hidden will be made known. On that day when we stand before the Lord, there will be no secrets. And it is true that there is a fellowship amongst believers that is unique and that is powerful. And yet... None of those things is really the main point that Jesus is seeking to make here in this passage. You see, what Jesus is talking about is the impact of his word upon our hearts, the response of our hearts to his word. He's talking about what James is talking about, that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Well, let's look at the passage in light of its context. As part of the teaching that we looked at last week, the, the parable of the soils, um, let's get started with verse 16. No one, Jesus says, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. And and so here Jesus tells another parable. It's another story. And and this one is about, well, it's about what you do after you light a lamp. Uh, By the way, a lamp would have been the only source of indoor nighttime lighting for the people to whom Jesus was speaking. What Jesus says here is it's ridiculous. It's comically obvious, and it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. It's a dumb moment. It's this thing that Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? When you light a lamp and, and you bring it into the room, you don't stick it under the bed. You don't hide it under a basket. No, you, the whole reason you got the lamp, the whole reason you lit the lamp was to put it on the stand so it could shine its light abroad. That's the whole reason. That's what you do with a lamp. No one's going to bring a lamp in and then and then hide it where it can't do what it was meant to do. You see, you put it up on the stand so it can do the thing that you meant it to do. You went and got the lamp so that you could then use it. So too, the spiritual truths that Jesus is teaching. So too, these spiritual truths. They are to be used. They are to be personally applied. They're to be put into action in the living of our lives. The parable of the soils, it stressed the fact that we need to accept and understand and retain God's truths that he speaks to us. And now here in the parable of the lamp, Jesus builds on that truth. And he says that God's word is meant to be put into action. It's to be practiced. Friends, The Christian faith is not philosophy. It's it's not inspirational slogans to be put on posters. It's instructions for living. It's how we're to live our lives. Now, secondarily, verse 16 does point out what what I, I love the way it was phrased by one guy, the essential conspicuousness of the Christian life the essential conspicuousness of the Christian life. You see, if we will take what Jesus says, when, when God speaks to us, if we will take that and we will put it into practice in our living, then we who will, who are Christians, we will by by very nature stand out. It will be impossible for us to blend in with this lost and dying world if we are applying the truths of the living Lord to the living of our lives. We have an instinctive fear of that, don't we? Being different. We know that this world likes to attack those who who don't conform. And yet we are to let our light shine. I mean, that, that's, that's what that song is about, right? And that is the way that it works. It's when we apply God's word to our life, when we use the truth of God's word, that we begin to shine, that we begin to be different than those around us. As, as Paul says to the Philippians, we become as shining stars in the midst of a dark sky. As we submit ourselves and the whole of our living to Christ, that will set us apart. That will make our lives conspicuous when we don't live like the world around us. Now, again, we need to remember the context, especially as we look at this next verse, it it almost feels like it's just a random truth out of place, and yet it isn't. It's very much connected to what Jesus is saying here. Look at verse 17. For nothing concealed, won't, there is nothing that is concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. So now remember this, not only remember the parable of the soils, the parable of the lamp, that how we respond to God's word matters, that God's word is meant to be applied to our lives, but let's also take into account what Jesus is next. Glance down at verse 18. Therefore, take care how you listen. Jesus is still talking about the same thing. He hasn't moved on. He's still talking about how it is we respond to his word. So what is this thing that is hidden that will be revealed? What is this thing that we can't see? Well, here's what I think. I, I think that what it's talking about is that inner decision within our hearts to accept or to reject what it is that God has said. Well, I'm sure the crowds that were listening to Jesus, and I'm even more sure that the disciples who were there listening to Jesus that they all looked like they were drinking in every word of what Jesus was saying. I'm sure that they, they all appeared to be in agreement with what he said, and, and even on a deeper level than that, accepting it and intending to apply it to the living of their lives. I bet everyone there, even Judas, looked like they were all in. Because you know what? it's not that hard to look like you're all in when you're sitting in church. It's actually fairly easy to look like you're all in uh, when you're hearing or reading the word, but that hidden resolve, that, that invisible response of the heart for us to know whether or not it is real is something that, well, it can't happen in that moment in time. No one can physically see a difference when you submit your heart to Christ in regard to some issue. No one can physically tell whether that appearance of brokenness is an outward show or an inward reality in that moment. The reality isn't something you can see in the moment. We can only know the reality of the heart's response as we see real change take place over time. You see, the context of this passage and the greater context of Jesus' teaching tells us this. What Jesus wants is not a reaction in a moment. What he wants are disciples who allow their lives to be changed by what he says. He isn't into getting people to agree with what he's teaching. He's into getting people to shape their lives around what he's teaching. What Jesus is after is disciples. Disciples, people who will submit the living of their lives to the things that Christ says. You know, it's really easy to agree when we hear the teaching of God's word it's a lot harder, isn't it, to do it? It's so easy to, to nod our head and, oh yeah, right on. It is so hard to live it out. It is so hard at times. But understand this, it's in the doing, not just the knowing, that the blessing resides. It's in the doing of God's word, not in the knowing of God's word, that the blessing resides. Listen to what Jesus says, John 13, verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Do you know these things? Do you know the things of God? Do you know the word of God? That's great. That's that's a very good thing. You know where the blessing is? It's in doing them. It's in doing them. You know where the worst place in the world is? It's knowing those things and not doing them. And I remember, I remember my sophomore year of college, that first quarter of my sophomore year. I came back from Army boot camp in between my freshman and sophomore year, and I was messed up and my my mind was twisted around, and I was not walking with Christ. I knew the truths. I was actually leading a Christian ministry at the time. <laughs> it was a nightmare. It was a terrible situation. I knew enough of the Lord that I could not enjoy my sin. But I was involved in my sin enough that I couldn't enjoy the Lord. You know where the blessing is? You know where the good stuff is? Where the good life is? It's obedience. Do you know these things? You'll be blessed if you do them. Look at verse 18. Therefore, take care how you listen. Whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. So Jesus says here again, take care how you listen. I'm still talking about this, Jesus says. This is still about how you respond to my word. Jesus says, you've got to be diligent to apply God's words to your life. It's a good thing to hear the word of God, isn't it? It's a good thing to hear God's word taught, but Jesus says, be careful. Be careful that when you hear God's word taught, that you submit your hearts to it and you apply it to the living of your life, regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of what you think it may cost you, that you go to that place of blessing, to that place of obedience. Now, we do certainly need to make sure that the teaching we hear is sound. I don't care where you are or who is teaching, myself included. You need to check it against the scriptures. You need to make sure it's sound. But if it's sound, you need to make sure that you apply it, that you apply it. Do you listen to a lot of teaching? I think a lot of us do. A lot of us listen to a good amount of teaching— hey, that's a great thing. Make sure it's sound and make sure that you're applying it. You see, there's a dangerous thing to listening to a lot of teaching. You can become like a food critic. You can become that guy that goes to the restaurant and orders a dish and tastes a little bit of it, chews it up, moves it around his mouth, and then (laughs) spits it out. He's not going to eat everything he tastes, right? That's what the food critic does. Are you a food critic with God's word? Have you become a critic of messages? Well, oh, that was pretty good. I'd give that one about a 10. Okay, well, probably not a 10, but maybe more like a seven. A 6.5. It was okay. Oh, this one was sound. That was good. We do need to make sure that it's sound, that it's God's message. But let's be sure that we don't just spit it back out onto the plate, that we are taking nourishment from the truths that we receive, that we are applying them to our lives, that we are making use of the lamp when it's brought out, that we're not just sticking it under the bed, Jesus says something odd there. He says that when we hear his word and we put it into practice, we'll be given more. So the one who, who puts spiritual truth into practice in their life, they are given more. They will increase in their spiritual understanding. But the one who hears God's message and does not put it into practice. Even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. It's like that hardened path. God's message comes down and it just lays on the surface because he's not letting it in. And so what happens? The birds of the air come and pluck it away. The enemy robs us of it. What Jesus is talking about here is spiritual growth. And what he says is that spiritual growth comes from the living truth that we know, not merely from knowing the truth that we should be living. Did you catch that? Spiritual growth comes from living out the truth that we know, not from merely knowing the truth that we ought to be living. So it's good. It's a good thing to know more about the Lord, but it's an even better thing to apply more of what you already know. If you choose not to put the truth that you know into practice, Jesus says that even what understanding you think you have, it will be taken away. In other words, he says that when it comes to God's truth, it's use it, Or lose it. It's just just this dynamic that takes place that that we are never truly sitting still in regards to spiritual growth. We are either moving forward or we are moving backward. We, We are either going forward and growing more and more Or we are drifting away from the Lord, maybe not even realizing that it's happening. So I'd ask you this, are you growing closer to the Lord? Are you currently on a growth curve? Are you growing in your walk with the Lord? Because if you're not, if you're not, consider the reality that you are drifting. And it's time to get back on the track It's time to get back into that place of blessing and to begin to seek to obey the Lord and grow in your walk with him because it matters. Because it matters. Oh, it may not look like it matters today, but it will matter. Uh, Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter six. Do you remember way back to Luke chapter six? Uh, there, beginning in verse 47, he tells another parable about two men building their houses. Remember that one? It says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and doesn't, same theme, same message that Jesus is giving. It says, those who come to me, they hear what I say and they put it into practice I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Conversely, Jesus says, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You know, it matters. It may not appear to matter in the moment. Hey, you know, that those two guys are building their houses, and one is laboring hard. He's digging down deep. He's doing the hard things that no one wants to do. Well, the other guy is already in his chase lounge, sitting next to the barbecue because he didn't even bother to build a foundation. He just throws up his house and it looks like it's all good. And the guy digging has got to be thinking, what am I doing? But we don't live for the sunny afternoon. We don't build for the sunny afternoon. We build for the storm that comes. You know, you don't live your life for how things are today. I mean, things were weird today, right? This is a strange time we're living in. But uh, trust me, it's going to get stranger. There's going to come a day that we're going to stand before God. That's the day we live for. That's the day we make decisions in regard to, oh, there may be things that we embrace in the living of our lives today that are are hard, that are difficult. But the storm's going to come. The storm's gonna come and the water comes. And if you've built on the rock, if you've listened to what Jesus says and you've chosen to do it, that house will stand. Oh, but if you do it your way, if you follow this world, your house will fall. That's you. It matters. It matters so much. This passage ends beginning in verse 19 with an awkward family moment. You ever have any awkward family moments? We never have. Our family is never awkward. Okay, maybe sometimes, occasionally when I'm around. Um, I don't think anyone's had an awkward family moment like this one. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. Now it's interesting. We know from the other gospels that they had not come just to pay Jesus a visit. In fact, when any family member says they want to meet with you, that's not just for social. You know, pleasures. There's an agenda, there's something going down and it's about you, right? And so they they wanna meet with him. They wanna actually, the other gospels say, take hold of him or take charge of him. They're basically saying, you know, Jesus is talking about being the fulfillment of prophecy, about being the Messiah. Yeah, I think it's time for you to come home and rest a little bit. They didn't believe. They did not yet believe. Now, it's interesting here, Jesus' response to them. I mean, it's understandable that he's like, I'm going to keep doing my thing, and um, they don't believe, but I'm going to continue to preach my message. But what he says here is interesting because he doesn't go after, well, you're wrong. What he goes after is, who are my mother and my brothers? You see, here is this group of people, his biological family, who come And they say, we're Jesus's mother, we're his brothers, and we are here to take charge of him. And Jesus says, you have to have more than the title or the claim to play the role. He says, my mother, my brothers, they're the ones who do the word of God. And that's an interesting thing. He doesn't say they're the ones who passed the DNA test. Okay, they're the ones who have really loved me. No, none of that, none of that. He's taking us back to this issue. This isn't really about his mother and brothers. What Jesus is saying is that there is a, there is a um, claim upon the life of the Christian that is greater even than the claim of family. And that's the word of God. Responding to the word of God, doing what God calls us to do. What Jesus says is, listen, you can claim to be my brother. You can claim to be my mother. You can claim to be a Christian. But really, what matters is whether you're living it, whether you're doing this thing. You're taking what I have said and you are putting it into practice. Jesus associates loving him with obeying him. John chapter 14, there in verse 21, Jesus says this, the one who has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And so again, this, this place of blessing, it's, it's, it's obedience. It's obedience. And it really is the place of blessing. Listen to the rest of what Jesus says there. He says, the one who, who has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by me. He will love by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Understand this. Those may, it may sound like not a big deal. This is the biggest deal there is. This is the greatest thing there is, to be enveloped in the love of God and I will reveal myself to him, to be in his presence. Dear friends, Jesus is describing heaven here. This is what we were made for, to know the love of God because it is the air that you breathe to be as confident of it as you are of anything, to experience the love of God, to know him. There is nothing better. There is nothing greater. And yet Jesus says this is what we get when we love him. Or in other words, when we obey him. Now, before this whole thought of living out our love for the Lord through obedience to him, before it begins to feel like a burden that is just too heavy for you to carry, before you begin to look at this and think, I can't do it, I've failed before, I'll fail again. So what's the point? What's the purpose? Uh, Before you begin to feel like, man, I just, I can't get there. I can't do it. Let me remind you of a couple of things that the apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi. There in Philippians chapter two, and verse 13, Paul says this, it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purposes. In other words, what God is saying is, I promise to not only give you the ability to do it, but to even give you the want to do it. I wish I could say that I always want to do what God wants me to do, but I don't. I I wish I could say that, that the reason that I fail, it's just circumstances, it's just the enemy, You know, it's Eric, Eric's fault all the time, usually. I wish I could say that and be honest, but that's not the problem. The problem is me. The problem is that so often, I don't even want to do what's right. But what Paul says that God promises us is that if we ask him, he will even give us the desire to do what he says. And with the desire, he will give us the ability to do it. Maybe you hear that and you think, oh, that's great for you. But I keep crashing and burning. I keep blowing it. You know, Paul said something to the Philippians about that, too, because that's an experience that we all have, right? Right? Even when we want to do what's good, we're like the Apostle Paul. Remember what he said in Romans, in Romans 6? What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that for sure I always do because I am messed up, Paul says. Oh, what a wretched man am I. We all experience that. And so Paul reminds the Philippians, Philippians chapter one there in verse six, he says, I am sure of this. And I'm so glad he said, I'm sure of this. I am so glad Paul didn't say, well, you know, maybe God will. Paul didn't say, you know, it could be that God will do it this way. No. I am sure of this. I know this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Paul says is one thing I know for sure. No matter what, if you belong to him, he's going to finish the job. He is going to get you there. You may be weak. You may be broken. You may have all sorts of issues. But He's going to get you there. He's going to bring you to that place of completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that day when we stand face to face with Him. And in the blink of an eye, in a moment, we will be changed. I look forward to that. I look so forward to being done with my flesh, to being done with, with, with this battle, and to being changed, being made like him. And he has promised that he's going to do that with me. He will finish what he has started in you. So stop fighting him. Stop fighting him. Let him. Don't give up. Don't run. Invite him. Ask him. His word promises us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And don't miss this, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness he will complete what he's begun in us if we let him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And God, I ask that you would be at work within us right now. God, your word has has been spoken. And it is in the soil of our hearts even now. Father, we ask that you would make us good soil. God, if we are really struggling with even receiving this, break us up, Lord. Plow the ground. Give us a willingness to surrender to you to allow you to do the work that you desire to do in us. God, if we if we are casually receiving it, but we have no depth, and, and you know, Lord, that in a week, it, it, maybe even in a day that we will be bailing out, God, I pray that you would break up that underlying hardness. God, that, that you would allow the roots to grow deep and that there would be a transformation within us that would last the rest of our lives. Father, if we are in love with this world, if we are overrun with the weeds, that you would pluck them, that you would intervene and remove these things from us, Lord, so that we might give ourselves fully to you so that you might bear fruit in our lives, so that we might honor you, so that we might find that place of blessing, that we might experience it, the goodness of your presence. Work in us, Lord. God, we need your help. We need you to intervene. We invite you to do so. We pray it all in Jesus' name.